Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. When it comes to dance music on the radio in the 21st century, few figures loom as large as Tim Sweeney. He of course is the host of Beats in Space, the hugely influential radio show on WNYU that just hit 20 years of broadcasting and is just shy of its 1,000th episode. Having been mentored by the likes of Steinsky and the DFA crew, Sweeney grew into a respected DJ in his own right, but despite his busy schedule, he's still been broadcasting every Tuesday night at 10.30pm for all these years. This exchange was recorded live earlier this month in Sydney before a 20 years of Beats and Space party and sees Lorna Clarkson lifting the lid on the influences and experiences that made Sweeney into the vital figure he is today. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges on residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Tim Sweeney is up next. have a few things in common. We've both been doing a radio show about 20 years. Our radio shows are both on a Tuesday night. So much in common. It's like we're speed dating in public. That's weird. I know you're married. It's okay. Um, And we probably both prefer to be sitting in a studio than in front of a crowd of people. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm certainly sitting with a man who's more used to being in my seat as the interviewer, the facilitator, and uh, the introducer, the host. He's been presenting the incredible Beats and Space radio show for now 20 years, and in that 20 years, he's uh, nurtured an 18-year-old's passion project into an internationally respected platform for excellent music, new and established talent, a record label, and an enviable DJ career. He's an excellent curator. He's quite an excellent human. We've now spent a couple Ah. of nights together (laughs) chatting. And uh, he's the boy who never left university. Welcome, Tim Sweeney. Thank you. Thank you. I love the idea of never leaving university. How do you get to do that? It's a good question. Um, yeah, well, starting out, I guess I, after I graduated, I kind of, to keep doing the radio show, I took a class in the School of Continuing Education to kind of, I just found whatever was the cheapest class to never showed up just to go and keep doing the radio show because you needed a student 
ID number to keep doing the radio, and I didn't want to quit. So um, I did that for a while until kind of the student management stopped asking. And then, you know, hopefully they still are okay about it. But I, it's, you know, I'm always on edge with whether they will kick me off. It's kind of, uh, you know, I never know. You know, the students who are running it, it's every two years kind of changes. So it's a different, like, 20-year-old who is bossing me around. Oh. Yeah. You so do you, do you have a kind of system of backhanders, like, uh, you know, keep I them sweet? I buy beers for them and things. Yep, that's you know, good. Like, I, th I, yeah. I find young students yeah. really do like beer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, you can get into the show. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, you just try and be nice and, and hopefully get along and someone there in the management knows what's up. Can I just ask, what was your original um, degree? Uh, I studied music. Oh. Music technology was my, yeah. But that was how, you know, I connected with DFA was I had to do internships. And so my first internship was with Steinsky, who is kind of like original hip-hop guy of New York. Mm -hmm. And after working with Steinsky, I met the DFA guys at a, at a bar, and I just asked if they needed any help, and then started that internship. But the, it wasn't that simple. It was a little bit more like, there's more kudos there, because you were actually DJing, and you were playing some pretty awesome music. I was DJing, at the, yeah. I mean, my thing was, at Plant Bar was I, was, I was opening DJ. I wasn't allowed in the bar yet, because I wasn't old enough. Of course, because so New you, York is 21. Just 21, yeah, yeah so right. to, the only way to get in yeah, it was I was kind of the I was playing 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. before the parties started. They would have I mean they would be getting in lots of names into this small bar, definitely way smaller than Frida's um, plant bar. You know, so I would meet a lot of people or listen to a lot of you know DJs there, and the bartender was Luke, the lead singer for the Rapture. So he he liked what I was playing and I mean he was the one who gave me the gig there I brought in a mix CD and gave it to him and he's like yeah you can come in and play before a party you know and, and um, he said you know after listening to me hey I like what you're playing I think you would like you know this guy who's producing our record uh, Tim Goldsworthy from from Mowax you know because you're playing a lot of Mowax records and I was like what Tim, like, uh, you, you're working with Tim Golds, really? Like, uh, you know. So I was like, next time Tim comes in, you have to introduce me, you know. And so there was one night. I don't, I don't know. I think it was probably Shit Robot was Marcus was um, DJing that night because he was one of the owners of the bar and you know regular on the weekend. And I think uh, Tim and James came in and were probably partying a lot um, that night and no. yeah uh, yeah and uh, I just yeah I went I went up to Tim and just told him I was a huge fan and just I you know I definitely snuck in the Steinsky thing because I was like I worked for Steinsky because UK people always know about Steinsky but US people never know about Steinsky and 
so I knew Tim would know about, oh, you really worked for Science okay. And then, uh, yeah, he was like, okay, come in on Monday to the studio and we'll talk more. And, you know, I went in on Monday and then that was kind of 2000, you know, early 2001 before Twin Towers, you know, they were still there. And, and yeah, I remember I was supposed to like, you know, we, yeah, I would just go in every day and kind of sit in the studio with Tim and James before, it was before the record label had actually even started. They were just the production duo and they were, I don't know, working on amazing remixes and it was super fun, yeah. So you got a few records to play on the show. I got, yeah, definitely there was a lot of, yeah, early records from that to play on the radio show that was, that was amazing. I mean, mentors are incredibly important when you're starting, especially in a creative career. So what did you get from your internship from Steinsky and then also from DFA? Like, what, was, what were your takeaways from each of those experiences? Yeah, I mean, Steinsky for me was the real New York character. And, you know, I, I'm from Baltimore originally, so when I moved to New York, like, listening to Steinsky and his stories, he, he had like a, he had a huge, one, he had a huge record collection, but he had a story about each record. And, you know, he is all about sampling, so he just, he had all the records that every hip-hop artist had ever sampled. So, you know, I had to go through, like, one of the projects with him was I had to go through and, you know, his big songs were the lessons, and he had to do a performance of it live, so he needed to find all the original samples. And so I had to go through all the records. Like, one of the projects for him was to go through and BPM records for his DJ sets, so I just was listening to everything and just BPMing it, and that was like just a... How IO- did you do it? Yeah. Because this is before the internet, people. This is not BPM.com. Yeah, you know, no, he had a little box. Plug in. He had a box, and you would just kind of like sit there and tap, you know, and then I would just like write it down on a sticker and put it there. And uh, I mean, it's good to have, I still put BPMs on my records too. So, it, it, you know, it was, it's a good thing, but it was, that project was like such an eye opener for me just going through his records because he had also a lot of different styles uh, of music. And he, you know, he was also into spoken word records and since Dr. John passed away, just he was such a huge, uh, like New Orleans funk, um, blues, jazz fan. So like he put me onto all of that, uh, the meters, and you know it was just kind of like, okay, you ha- you have to listen to this. Oh, you like this? You need to listen to this. And that was kind of how it was at DFA too. It was kind of like, oh, you haven't heard this? You need to listen to this. And so just kind of like homework for me. You know, you go in and. I'd have all these records I would need to go home and listen to or go find or whatever. And so with Steinsky is, you know, that influence with those records um, from kind of like a New York standpoint was huge. But he also did a radio show on WFMU, which I think was, you know, I, I had to edit some of that of his or, you know, listen through some of those. And that was a big influence on me because he put so much effort into his radio shows, editing everything. And, 
you know, one of the projects was a, that he had was called, um, he had a, you know, a voicemail machine at the time, and he would leave uh, the phone number for people to call in, but he would have a question, like, for people to answer, or some kind of, you know, it would be, yeah, some kind of question that people would answer, and um, he would put together a collage of the answers. But it would be a way, you know, it's what influenced me to start um, the Beats and Space hotline number, but I don't really leave any good questions for people yet to, you know, leave good answers with. But, um, you know, it, it was listening to people's answers that, that, that they put was something that was huge for me to, like, hear listeners. You know, it's that thing of, you know, not reading what people are typing, but it's like, to really hear someone's voice about how they're feeling about something, it, it was, it really hit me. So it was something that, you know, that influenced me for, for my radio show um, from Steinsky. I was just like, okay, I, I need to do something, you know, I, I need to use that somehow. Yeah, because doing radio can be a very one-way kind of process. You're in a studio, you're often alone, or maybe you've got a guest and you're talking to yourself. Uh, sometimes it feels that way. Yeah. yeah, 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 totally. So is this your way to kind of close the loop, to kind of bring people into the studio with you? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, like having people leave the messages is also a way of, well, one, while doing the radio show, you know, I don't have time to talk to people <laughs> so long, and you know this as well, like, people really like to talk to you for a while, like, well, late night especially, you get a lot of people who like to talk for a long time, who maybe don't have a lot going on, so then, yeah, um, so they talk to you for a long time, but there's really good stories, um, you know, I, I had lots of old, you know, Paradise Garage goers, and, you know, just like, yeah, the people with crazy stories, and and you know, I wanted a document of that. So I, I was, it just felt, you know, I was listening to them, but it just felt wrong that I didn't, I couldn't re-listen to it or remember everything that they said. And um, so that's why, you know, I started the the number for people to call, but it didn't, it doesn't really work out the same because if you're not talking to the person mm. and ask, you know even if I wasn't really asking any questions, they were just talking to me. It was, uh, it's still not the same on a voice machine. And then sometimes it goes wrong. And then sometimes it goes wrong, yeah, yeah. You, you get someone who maybe just wants to call a little bit too much? Yeah, yeah, you, well, you always get those people, but um, yeah, I did have you know one guy, Victor, from Washington Heights, who called a lot. Pretty infamous now, I yeah, think. Yeah, and... Um, he stopped calling, though, so I don't know where he is. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Are you uh, worried about him? I'm a little worried about him. I've, I've shouted him out. It's kind of like a back call, you know? I'm like, hey, Victor, where are you are? <laughs> you know, I, I always feel like he'll leave a message whenever I said his name, and he stopped doing it, so it felt like Batman's gone, kind of, yeah. But, um, yeah, he, you know, he originally called and, and was really mean and kind of, you know, threatening to me and I worried about my life for a little bit and yeah <laughs> um, but it ended up being um, it was actually on a night RA was 
was there, they were recording, and Juan McLean was in the studio, and I, I finally had him on the mic. Uh, you know, we did an interview on air. Yeah, I was wondering why you decided to do that. Um, I don't know, just for the fun of it. I, just to see what happened. Well, because I'm, I'm comfortable with Juan McLean, so, and I was just like, okay, if Juan's there, he'll... Other Juan just, like, took Victor's side on everything just to kind of... <laughs> to egg him on but um yeah it was just i don't know something something different to do and but that kind of changed the whole atmosphere and he became nicer maybe more boring but i guess my life felt better oh (laughs) and you're still here we're thankful for that and victor i don't know (laughs) Okay, so your very first radio show, how did you even get the show? Well, I went on WNYU when I was in high school. I went up to New York and um, I like emailed someone at the radio station who was doing a show that you know I thought maybe I could get. It was this guy, Neil Aline. And I said, oh, you know, I'm coming up to New York, can I, um, can I play on the show? And, you know, he asked for a mixed CD or, you know, something to check out. I think it was, it was a tape. So I sent him something and then he was like, okay, come on. And so I went up there and, yeah, I was super nervous, but I, I wanted to do radio because I had done, in high school, I went on University of Maryland, like cut class to go do a radio show there. and. It was like, okay, I really like doing this. This is what I want to do. And so when I, was, I went up to New York and got on WNYU, I was like, okay, I really love this. You know, I want to do this. And so when I did it, I did it twice that summer on Neil's show. And then when I got into NYU, I just, I emailed the radio station and was like, okay, I've done, I've been on the radio, you know, already on FM, like, how can I start? So they kind of like, I started right away because I'd already done radio uh, on their station. Mm-hmm. So um, I kind of, you know, the only thing is that, yeah, I had to come up with the concept and, you know, for the radio, they want, they wanted, uh, they didn't want anything too broad for what you were going to play. You know, it needed to be specific, like, genre, and I wanted to do a lot of different genres. So that was where I kind of butt heads with the program director about what the show was going to be. And, um, you know, I ended up saying one thing and then expanding it later is kind of how I've done it. You know, the time slot, 10.30 p.m. to 1 a.m., is like the dance music show but I kind of and it is focused on dance music but I feel like I could do anything I wanted on it what do you think your filter is so I mean dance music is incredibly broad it could be anything Um, but you've carved out a particular style and taste level how would you describe that if you had to kind of put it in some sort uh, of that words. Is, yeah. yeah, that's a very tough question. Yeah, no, that's I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 it's really hard to answer that. It's just what I um, enjoy, and it's that is kind of 
just whatever I'm thinking is interesting. And, you know, a lot of times I also need to just, you know, do something completely different just to stay interested in the show, you know, and, and just to keep, because it can be too, too much. You can get too much into to RA uh, lists or something like that. No offense. And, uh, and it's very important. You know, and very valuable. Yeah, yeah, yes, it is. But so, but sometimes I'm just like, okay, I need, I just need something else because I also feel like there's just a part of me that is always kind of whatever gets, you know, put up on a pedestal. I want to find whatever is not on that pedestal. I, you know, it's. I feel like there's something else out there. So you, you're kind of always looking under the radar. As soon as something has a spotlight on it, you might try and divert. Yeah, I mean, and that could be to my detriment, you know. Oh, I don't uh, think so. I think well, you're doing pretty well with it. Yeah, uh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the radio show started out very much you DJing, playing lots of music. But where it's at in 2019 is, from what I can tell... You're not on there a lot yeah. at yeah. all. Yeah, I mean, it's it has definitely changed a lot, and and that's something I'm kind of. Last year was a kind of big experiment for me with that, where I was kind of, I basically didn't play at all, and it. I was actually trying to test whether, whether that would affect my DJ gigs or like whether that would. I don't know. It was it was kind of like testing how things would work uh, if I didn't play on the radio show. Because I'm always have this fear. Like I play on the radio show, everyone knows all the records I want to play at the club, and and it's like you know you don't have those secret weapons that uh, everyone else they don't do the radio show every week, so they don't you know no one knows what they're playing. And so I was like, okay, if I take that away, what happens? But I felt like I didn't get any DJ gigs, so then you know, I don't know how well it worked. But um, I really definitely miss doing the radio, like doing it every week, having the you know having that mix every week forces you with um, listening to new music and yeah, finding the best stuff each week. And otherwise, you can become complacent on what you have, mm. and so. I definitely feel, you know, I've been trying to change it now this year um, where, you know, I want to bring it back to like one guest and me, but it's still been, diff I still have a hard time saying no to something that I see that is like a good two people thing together. At this point, my goal is at least once a month <laughs> that I'm going to play. But I, yeah, I, I want to put it, put it back where I'm, Again, you're in there. I'm in there. Yeah, and, somewhere. And play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because I don't feel like as a host, I have a good time being there and listening to the, the DJs. That's why I have them on. I'm curious about what music they play. Uh, you know, I, I want to know about, I want to get inspired by what they play. But yeah, you know, I also have this urge to play stuff. And, and the show isn't so built around me interviewing them. So that part of it doesn't you know, it's like quick uh, on my talking. So this is the most you've talked for this a very is, long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, I'm having <laughs> issues right now. <laughs> Seem to be doing really well. Oh, thank you, Just thank saying. you, yeah. I'll have um, another drink. <laughs> you mentioned um, the fact that 
a lot of people approach you. I was curious if um, what the tipping point has been for you in having to actively go and seek people to bring on to the show. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely changed, but it, I feel like it's with promos. You know, you get sent all these promos and, you know, there's a very small handful that are actually ones that are really good and the rest you really have to search like if i go to the record store it ends up being those records that i'm most excited about that you find yeah. so for for the radio show you know with the guests is kind of in a similar vein uh, you know i get hit up by the um booking agents or pr people you know sometimes it'll work out and i'll be like yeah i totally want that person on like i would didn't know they would be up for it. But then a lot of times I'm just looking at the club listings, who's coming to New York. And and I reach out and say, hey, you know, I would love to have you on the show if you have time. Or or it's like I, I play a record, uh, it's some record or a label that I like. And I, I just reach out to them and I say, hey, if you ever come to New York, I would like to have you on the show, you know, please let me know. And, and so, that's the kind of usual reach out for me is just to kind of just tell them I'm interested and then they tell me their schedule. But back in the early days of late 90s, early 2000s, when maybe Beats in Space wasn't known to anyone, um, who was the first person you got on the show that you were just like, yes? <laughs> well, I think it was... the first person I had on was the one I, I had, um, I mean, I was a big Solid Steel um, listener. Cold Cut fan. Yeah. yeah. And um, I had DJ Food come on the show, I think as the first guest. And at the beginning, I kind of lied about the show because, um, <laughs> <laughs> because it wasn't the, the NYU has two stations. There's an FM station that gets all across New York City, New Jersey to Connecticut, up to Connecticut. And then, but that's only Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. to 1 a.m. And then the other times when I started, it was called 800 a.m. So it was just an a.m. station that would only reach the dormitories. So no one was really listening. So when I started for the first two years, it was just on that 800 a.m. And I kind of just had to tell people I was on FM radio, you know, like just massaging. Yeah, it's a little lie, yeah. but but um, but yeah, they could, you know, DJ Food were really nice about it, and you know, came on, and I was really excited, and and um, I think uh, you know, from there it was just that was the kind of starting point where you can tell other people, hey. I had this person on, and then they'll be like, okay, he's legit, or, you know, like, that's how you kind of snowball effect of getting artists on the show. So when it goes well, it goes well, and that's amazing. But we all have radio fails. So what's been <laughs> the biggest uh, cringeworthy moment in your radio career? I mean, it's probably been being too drunk on the radio is <laughs> it was really, uh, I remember falling on the microphone before, but it, it, I, I think that was with Super Pitcher at some point that, it was for New Year's Day or New Year's Eve and uh, definitely 
drink too much. I try and make those fewer and fewer now times. It's the risk, though, of a late-night radio show. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Besides that, it's, it's more... It would probably be more, yeah, guest interviews where someone doesn't want to talk and it feels like pulling teeth or, you know, to, to get anything out. And, I mean, it's kind of rare now that happens. And I think also if I feel that vibe now, I know just to, like, just stop it and, you know, not try any more questions and just go back to music or next DJ or, you know. So that's kind of stopped now and... Yeah, so I don't think it. I don't. I don't know. There's nothing too bad anymore. No, no. I don't have any. Yeah, there, it's all up on the radio. It's all up online, anyways. I. I don't know. There's no. no yeah. There's no secrets here. Is there anyone you don't have to name names, obviously, but that you were excited about having in the studio, but when you met them and had them there, you were just like, I will never, ever have them in again. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk but, around that? <laughs> or the situation without telling the person? I would prefer not to, but uh, <laughs> it, it's just, yeah, it, it happens and you can get bummed out on, on some people. And it's hard, that's hard because, yeah, you know, you really like everyone's music and you don't want someone you've met to to kind of go against how much you love their music. So if if I get that kind of vibe, I try not to talk to them as much. <laughs> and, 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 you know, you just try and keep your space and, and then, and you hope things will change. Or you don't know what the situation is too, because like, you know, people are touring, people are tired. I mean, I want people to want to be there, but, you know, sometimes they don't want to be there. And, and it's just kind of, you just don't know what happened to them that day or that week or whatever. So, you know, I give them benefit of the doubt. I don't know, talk shit about them later, you know? <laughs> I, I don't know. But maybe <laughs> not on the microphone. <laughs> but yeah, not on the microphone right now, but afterwards. Uh, you once said uh, uh, in an interview that uh, you'd, you'd love it when people bring drama to the show. You would love that. Has that ever happened? <laughs> not as much as I'd like. It's just a thing we, I talk about with friends at the record store. Because, like, on, you know, the hip-hop stations, there would be, like, a lot more drama happening, like, beefs and stuff. And so we were like, you know, dance world needs more, more beefs happening so you can, like, I could be reporting about it, you know, and, and be fun. But, um, yeah, there isn't really that much drama to report on in electronic music yeah it's a little, <laughs> a little bit sad so you don't have those like yeah those people that are kind of causing drama or i don't know yeah it was just it was something where it was like it'd be fun to have a, more of a talk show where you could talk about people and it doesn't feel like the dance music world is ready for that I know, because you actually said you would be willing to get rid of the DJ mixes and swap it out for talkback radio at night. Yeah, I would like to do that. I, I would like to do just, yeah, sit there with someone and shoot the shit, you know? And, like, I think it would be fun. But, um, I mean, obviously my ratings would go way down. But, <laughs> but it would just, I, I don't know. I think it would be fun to, I mean, especially for late night radio, 
like just doing like a talk, just talking about stuff with someone is kind of what late night radio is about. So you could be like an agony aunt for electronic lovers. Yeah. Yeah. No, I you know, I, I think, you know, I really wanted to do one where we would call up, you know, like call up people about their love life and, you know, help them. And, you know, I, I, like I thought it would be really fun to do something like that, but we are going to have a Q&A at the end. Yeah. So can, uh, if can. anyone's having any relationship issues, uh, just save them till the end. We'll get there. But, you know, I always needed a good, like, it, it wasn't just me in the studio. It would have to be a, a crew then, you know, a round table of talking. But Panel I think of experts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was fun. <laughs> uh, one of the things I love about your radio show, and it's not what you can listen to, but it's the, um, the wall of Polaroids. When did you actually have that idea start it? Was it from day one? That was not from day one. Um, that was, yeah, originally I was using just, yeah, regular press pictures. Or the first website had no pictures. Um, I always go to A1 Records in New York. It's kind of my regular Tuesday night or day rituals to go to the record store there. So I'm friends with those guys and uh, they've been around for a long time, early 90s. And they had been taking pictures of DJs or producers who come in. They, didn't, they, don't, they put some on, on the wall, but they kind of like just took them and stored them. And uh, my friend Jeremy, who, who works there, was like, man, you should be taking pictures of the people coming in to your show because you're getting all these different people coming through. I was like, you know what, Jeremy? <laughs> You're right, I should be doing that. I'm going to take your idea, I'm sorry. So, you know, it was really, it was from A1 that um, I, I was like, okay, let's do this, you know, have them. It, it's just another way of, for me, it was another way to make it more personal. One, the photos more personal of the moment, and also you, you get their signature, so then it's another way of just, like, seeing something about the artist of like, okay, they have terrible handwriting or uh, uh, this person's, you know, an artist. They, they do cool, you know. And they it, really don't photograph well. Yeah, yeah, these people don't photograph well. These people, wow, how does he do a photo like that? You know, yeah. I don't know, it's, it's interesting, but it, it, yeah, it, it didn't start until I guess maybe now it's almost 10 years of doing it or it might not be even 10 years, but... It's a lot, I, now I have a lot of photos at home, and uh, you know, it's like documenting that is another project. Yeah, because I was going to ask, where is the wall? Yeah, the wall, I mean, the wall that everyone takes it in front of, of Polaroids is actually just of students at WNYU. So it isn't any any of my ones. Uh, I was caught out. Yeah, yeah. I was sucked. Everyone comes. Everyone. Every DJ comes in looking at it, and then like, yeah, there's no one there, so <laughs> that you would know. But yeah, I mean, I just take them all the Polaroids back home and put it into shoe boxes, and you know, it just kind of stays there. But no, I mean, we we've been. I did do one Polaroid show at a at a gallery in New York, and we put up like 800 along the walls. It was pretty insane and um, it, it, was, it was actually amazing to see everything and to see all the Polaroid, how people change. I mean, you saw the, also the Polaroid film changes, you know, just how 
people getting older. Yeah, it, it's an interesting thing to, to look at when it's all really out in, in the open. I'm interested in your label. Firstly, why you decided to start a label, because it's difficult. It's hard work. It's certainly not for the money. Yes. And um, as someone who is consuming a lot of music all the time, I imagine it's like, how do you choose what to put on a label? Why did you start? Why did you do it? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I, start, I started it on, on the 10th anniversary of the radio show, or the idea came, I was talking to Tim Goldzer the, from DFA about what I could do for the 10th anniversary. And he said, you know, you should start your own label in so many words. And um, so I was like, okay, you know what? All right, l let me do this. Yeah, for me, uh, a big part of it was the visual side. Like, uh, f you know, with a record, you know, I love the artwork of it. And, and I think, yeah, f also for me, um, I've been working with, you know, musicians and DJs all the time, but I don't get to work with artist artists. And, and so with the record label, you know, I finally was able to go into another world, which I found difficult to tap into because it's like, I, well, I don't have these connections. Although at the same time, that visual art world is connected and people are friends with each other. So it's like, okay, like Eddie Ruscha, who I released Secret Circuit, you know, knows a lot of the art world. So it would be like, okay, you know, here's this person, here's this person. And then, you know, again, it's like how I started the radio show that things kind of snowball. And so for me, yeah, I, I just wanted to have something super visual. I, I mean, actually, when I started, I wanted to have all records that I could just hang on the wall, you know, as art pieces. So that's why all the early ones, they have like a sticker on them, but the sticker's uh, like a vinyl one that you can just take off without it, you know, ripping anything. And then it's just the the visual art. There's no... There's no writing on it or anything, because I just wanted it to be something, a piece of artwork. You know, I guess that's something that's also, you know, you're losing nowadays with, yeah, the MP3s and digital things. So it was just, for me, yeah, I want, like, I love looking at artwork and I just wanted to get in there with that. But with, uh, with choosing music, you know, it's another thing that I get sent a lot of stuff and so it was just kind of, you know, there's a lot of unreleased things, and I was like, okay, I want to see what I can do. Like, let's see what what things I can release and that I get sent that I really like that should get out there and and see what happens. And yeah, it's a lot of work, and it, you know, there's no money, and it's uh, a headache, but it's fun, and uh, well, sort of fun, and uh, you know, it's. Um, yeah, I want to keep doing it. It's 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 definitely like you get it's like a little baby and and you know it's it just it's it's hard if it doesn't go the way you want you know you want it you you get really into a piece of music and if everyone else is not into it, it's hard. It's you know like it it's frustrating. Look, I want to leave enough time for questions. So I guess I wanted to ask when you first started. Uh, this whole journey. What was it you wanted to achieve? So 20 years ago, little 18-year-old Tim, what was it he wanted to achieve? 
I, I don't know. I, I just wanted to do a, a cool radio show. I, I really, yeah. I, I wanted to DJ and I wanted to be able to travel, which I have been able to. But I don't think I had like a rule the world, you know, mentality. Uh, now I do. You know, it, no, it's just kind of, um, I think I just started, I wanted to do something, I wanted people to hear it, and, you know, that was kind of it. Like, you know, that's why I started putting things online, was to get people to hear it, because, like I said, I was on the 800 AM, and there was no one listening. So I put it online so that people would listen. And, you know, I guess nowadays it's the same thing. There's just so much out there, and it's trying to, you're just trying to get, get it into people's ears somehow. Well, now that we're 20 years down the track, what is it you want to achieve now? Because back then you were mentored by some incredible people, so they helped set you on a path. What's your advice to a generation who are teched up in a way that you weren't back then, um, who can communicate in a second in a way that you couldn't back 20 years ago, who might want to be following in a similar path, but they're in a generation and a time that's incredibly noisy because anyone can do it. So what advice, I guess, if you were to be that mentor now to someone else, what would you tell them? Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. It's, uh, it's, I don't know, it's, it's hard. Um, I would say, I mean, for me, it was just keeping at it. Like I just did the radio show every week, a new show keeping at it and not quitting and, you know, not going on vacation and just... Is it true you've never missed a show? Not, not well, true. Uh, yes, it is true. I mean, that is true, but it, uh, it's not true anymore that it's all been live. But um, it, it's definitely, yeah, I have had a new show every week. Um, but uh, now coming to Australia is a little bit harder to... Um, <laughs> to the radio show live, but I'll be back this Tuesday to do the radio show live. So I'll fly out on Monday and be really out of it on Tuesday night to do the radio show, and uh, and then I'll fly to Russia the next day, and you know, and then I'll fly back. So it, you know, yeah, it's just kind of one of the doing the radio show live is just a lot more fun, and it's yeah, it's more special. You know, I think that is one thing I've thought about for the 20th anniversary on changing things. Is like, you know, it would be cool to come to Australia and do the radio show from here, you know, um, or go to Europe and do the radio show live from from someplace there. You know, my issues are that, you know, I'm on a college radio station with it's just me doing the radio show. There, I don't have a you know, producer, I don't have a team, and there's not, like, someone who can really, you know, help out with if I wanted to do it from here and, and be live on the radio in New York. It just kind of, it's logistically, it's very difficult. So Sounds more glamorous than it is. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, so uh, yeah, for me, it's just then been trying to be there on the Tuesday night and you know not every artist can be there on a Tuesday night either so it's I have to record people whenever they're in town and then air it but I just I always try and get people to be there on the Tuesday night so it's 
it's just more fun, more like a, doing it live is a, is a um, you know, you're on edge, something could go wrong and it's more fun that way. That's why I don't have people send in any, in the beginning I had people send in mixes and now I, I, everyone has to do it live at the studio because it's just, um, I want people to mess up. And so what I'm hearing from that is, I guess your um, advice to someone coming up would be, be committed, if you could see it through, and, yeah, I, and be yeah. in the moment. Yeah. yeah, those are good, those are good. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah, <laughs> just re-massage your words. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got two more questions. Okay. One is, uh, Beats in Space in 2039, what's it going to be? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just gray-haired Tim. Uh, I, I, it's a good question. I mean, I, yeah, I would like to still be doing it, and you know, I just have to keep it still interesting for me, and and find a way to do that. Which, yeah, where I don't get bored by dance music, or maybe I'm bored by dance music then, and and doing something else. But I, I think I would still like to do radio. It's 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 fun. I mean, it's you know, I like being. I think it started, you know, DJing in in my basement in Baltimore where you're just by yourself and then being on the radio where you're just by yourself but you have this crowd listening. It, you know, you can just kind of do whatever and it's like swap, I swapping out your parents for hundreds of thousands yeah, of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, there's there's like a freedom to it and and you know, also with with being on college radio, I don't have to worry about, you know, I never have to worry about ratings or if anyone is listening. I, I assume no one's listening when I'm doing the radio show. So I mean, it's probably pretty true. And, and but it's, a, yeah, I think if I didn't still doing it in 20 years, it would be kind of the same thing. I'd probably be grumbling about somebody else shows doing better than mine or, you know, it's a, yeah, whatever, you know, yeah. Okay, so for anyone who's not uh, across it, you've just recorded and released your 993rd show, which means your thousandth show is on July 23rd. Yes. Is there something special planned <laughs> for show 1000? I'm still working on that. <laughs> but um, yes, I would like to do something special for it, but... I'm still working on it, so I can't say <laughs> more Ooh. than that. Uh, so we'll see. I, ho I hope I can, yeah. I, I don't know, putting a lot of pressure on that one is difficult, but, um, I, you know. So we just have to listen. You'll have to listen in. Yeah, sorry, guys, I tried to yeah, get yeah, a heads that up. Was, yeah. Uh, if you have ideas, you know, I'm still open to that. <laughs> yeah. We could find Victor. Tim Sweeney, yeah. thank you so much. It's been a great chat. Thank really you so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Hi, Tim. <laughs> Hello. A friend of mine told me that you were responsible for curating the soundtrack for GTA San Andreas. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that was my job out of school, out of... NYU, I um, got hired at Rockstar Games to do that. I don't know, yeah, it was kind of just weird luck on that one, um, where they were looking for someone 
they had done, uh, what was the GTA before that? The uh, Miami Vice one. And they had done that all, I think it was mostly Terry Donovan, the main, one of the main guys from Rockstar Games, did that soundtrack. So he was super busy now that GTA had blown up so much and then they uh, needed to hire someone so they kind of reached out to people in the music world and um, you know ended up going in for interviews and got the job as a young you know 21 year old it was yeah it was kind of crazy just a lot of work putting together I don't know what it was the eight or ten radio stations um, for that game but it was again like something where I, I enjoyed finding all this different music, you know, I kind of related it to my DJing because I I could just um, go to the record store. Now I had an unlimited budget from Rockstar Games to go buy all the expensive records. And, you know, so I could just go buy whatever I wanted. And I just kind of, yeah, put playlists together for them to um, say, hey, these are the, you know, they gave me like a genre and, Everything had to be up until 1992, and so I just had to find like the best music from that. And um, can you remember the genres? Yeah, a little is bit. It like R and B, rock. Yeah, there was like two hip hop stations. One was supposed to be like modern hip hop, which was like 1990 to 1992, and one was like old school hip hop. There was like a rock station that was had Guns and Roses was a big thing. There was. Uh, like a, I think there was an indie, more indie rock station. There was a country station. That was interesting to me because I had never done any country music before. I was going to say, was that an ex- like a so, yeah, learning experience? Yeah, that was a learning experience to like find cool country music. And I think there was a, there was a house station. There, I think there was a reggae station. I don't remember anymore the other ones. I was say, but this yeah, is there, a there, there, there were a lot. It, but it was, it was yeah, it was it was a lear- big learning experience. And you know, I, I think also one story I always have from Rockstar Games is uh, not from San Andreas, but from Midnight Club, uh, another like a racing game. Is we, uh, you know, ended up licensing music from um, Underground Resistance for that game, and you know. If you know the story of Underground Resistance, they had like this thing where they hated Sony um, because Sony had uh, sampled or you know put out Knights of the Jaguar. Yes, yeah, exactly. So I remember it well. It was a big issue to try and get them to put out something on PlayStation, you know. And we ended up, you know, I was talking to I was talking to Mad Mike, and you know he was just. He was he was awesome. He was it was really uh, it was it was awesome talking to him. And you know I still remember him. I had never met someone who cared so much uh, about the community. He like cared about Detroit. Like part of the deal was you know Rockstar helping out the community uh, in Detroit. And and that was for me like okay you know more people need to be doing this and caring about more than themselves. It was, yeah, I don't know, it was, it was kind of special that, you know, he, he would do that. Yeah. Anyone else? Got another burning question? Hey, Tim, big fan, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here, appreciate this. Um, 
been a fan for ages. I remember the first time I heard about your show was like 2005 or something. But what I was going to ask is like, we obviously can't listen to like the radio, like you live, like in Australia, right? So like, when well, I you can actually. Well, you, you, well, I mean, can. online, yeah. Well, we can now. There's a lot, yeah. We yeah. can now, but like, what I mean is like, when I first heard about your show, was like, a friend of mine was like listening to it on a podcast on iTunes, right? Right, yeah. And so I guess like for a long time, the only way that we were kind of engaging with like your radio show was through pod, like through iTunes podcasts. Like, yeah. I just wonder like, how much is that? Like, that's pretty significant way that you've like got a broad reach, right? Definitely. I mean, that is how I assume most people are listening to the show. Uh, I think listening live, yeah, while it has the radio show has a big reach in New York, I don't know how many people are listening to the radio anymore anyways. But, uh, and then, you know, there's online, but it's a late night show. So, you know, it streams online, but it's really only, it's no one in Europe's listening because it's too early in the morning in Europe. It's okay for Australia for in the afternoon. Yeah, it is really the podcast the next day when I put that up that everyone listens. And because that was like podcasting back when you started was kind of, wasn't super no i mean yeah when i started uh, it was i was doing real audio file it was before mp3s it was real audio and uh, yeah i kind of i converted those to to mp3s later on but it yeah in in the in the beginning i i I don't even remember how i would do well i would have to re-record the shows in in real time because i would record the shows to um, cassette tape at the very beginning and then to dat tape. Um, And you would have to record those into the computer and I would spend hours kind of having to record it back into the computer and then edit it, which at the time 20 years ago would take a really long time. Uh, I mean, it still takes a long time editing the two and a half hours, but um, yeah, at that, I mean, I was good as a student. Sad time, I guess, you know? Yeah. Anyone else? Hi. Um, was there like a moment or a special situation where you um, realized you really had listeners or a crowd that listened? Yeah, that's a good question. And the thing I always say, I think it was around 2003 or so, but it was when I played. It was a DFA, I had that remix of um, Releve, yeah, uh, by Carl Craig. And I played that on the radio show, Deli and Gavin's Releve, and the Carl Craig remix. And I, played, and I had that before everyone else. And I played on the radio and, and, and the DFA guys said, you know, if you play this on the radio, just make sure you talk over it so that no one cuts it out and, and you know, whatever posted or so I talked over it and people and you know the next day when it went up I just got you know people are super excited about the track but they were so angry about me talking over it (laughs) and um so I was like okay like this is pretty amazing a lot of people are talking about this there's people listening and I didn't you know that that was kind of like when it hit me that was kind of also people from all over the world were, li- were really listening. I was getting messages from all over the world, but I still don't think anyone's listening. So it's, you know, but at that point, you know, it felt like, 
you know, maybe some press places like talked about it even or whatever, and it kind of like hit. Okay, there's there's listeners, and, and um, yeah, I, I still always assumed there's not that many. That I don't. This just how I do the radio show, and, and keep doing it, and just I assume. I guess maybe lower expectations, you know, hurts less when you find out about things. But you know, I, I just assume no one is listening and then then something else happens and you know i'm like okay they're listening it's a nice surprise yeah it's a nice surprise yeah yeah i'm here doing a talk in yeah sydney uh, you know <laughs> yes you are <laughs> yeah so it's cool yeah anyone else do you actually know how many listeners you have that is another good question which is no but uh, it, it, in at least uh, 50 yeah, yeah. <laughs> well one I don't know how many people listen live because um, to do that you need Arbitron is the system to do the live FM radio thing to know how many people are listening and Arbitron costs a lot of money and we're a college radio station and it doesn't matter how many people are listening so they don't I think a commercial station could know and tell me but I don't know any commercial radio people to, to tell me how many people listen. I don't know how many people listen streaming live at the time. I don't have that access. Oh, come on. You can get that. <laughs> yeah, what do I, I? I'm really telling you that I don't know very much. Um, you know, I keep the number. I don't know. Maybe some people see it, but I don't put on SoundCloud and MixCloud the numbers of streams that happen because it annoys me when there's someone big on the radio show and you know everyone listens to it and someone small smaller name person comes on the radio show and they don't get the same amount of plays but I think their sets are you know like way bit better and should be you know I want it to be at an equal level so I stopped putting the allowing people to see how many plays happen because I think it just it, that helps, or, or, or I don't know. I don't know if it helps, but it, it's just I keep. I think it keeps it more fair because it just. I mean, actually, it's really personal because I hate it that no one listens to my mixes, and then you know, like, <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Well, well, they will be tonight. So for yeah. anyone who doesn't already know, uh, Tim will be DJing here tonight. Yes. Up there, swapping the microphone for the decks. Well, I don't know. Maybe use the microphone in your sets as yeah, well. So when I yeah? get really You're drunk, jump on? I used to. Yeah, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> um, so if you are uh, hanging around, then he will be on later tonight with AD Tui as well, DJ. So uh, that will be amazing, and it's going to be a nice long set. You're going to take it in all different directions. Yes. Excellent. Yes. Thank you, you and thank well. you all for coming out and listening thank Haven't, you yeah. it's funny to do this I've never done a talk and I'm very not I'm not very good at talking in front of people I know that sounds weird but it's again radio thing is you are by yourself or with you know two other people so speaking in front of people is uh, difficult you did very very thank very you. well thank you thank you